So fantastic. Well, hey, if we haven't already said it, welcome. Uh, If this is your first time and you've only just been visiting a couple of weeks, my name is Shane, and I'm the pastor here. Uh, My wife, Heather, and I, um, we get to lead this community, and we have launched a, um, a series where this is the last Sunday called Love Handles, Get a Grip on Love and Relationships. And so I'm excited to conclude the series. If you've missed any of it, it's all online on our Facebook page. I encourage you to to go and check that out because um, each each week kind of builds on each other. But we're landing on um, what is a really important choice that, that we all have. And it's not a choice that you get to opt out of in any kind of relationship. And what I've said from the beginning is that this, this series, um, first and foremost, relates to sort of romantic relationships, but it really does apply to any significant relationship that you have. And so... Um, this choice is a choice that we make almost every day. And sometimes it doesn't feel like a choice. Sometimes more it's, it's more of a reaction. But it really is one of the most important doorways to connection and intimacy. And so um, with that, I want to read a passage that you're familiar with. And, um, and it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And this passage of scripture um, is often read at a wedding um, and often known as the love verse, the love chapter, the romantic chapter. But what you have to understand is that Paul, the apostle, is, is writing a letter to the Corinthian church in Corinth. And, and in Corinth, it, like many of the other pagan cities, um, the, the people there, all they knew was worshiping pagan gods. And what you have to understand about pagan gods is that they don't care how you treat one another. They just want to be treated well. And so, and so what they would teach is that you have to appease the gods, but don't worry about necessarily how you treat other people. And so this was revolutionary because Paul, and in, consistent with all of his other teaching, was connecting how you treat other people with how you worship God. And so it's very important for us to understand that these relationships that we're in are sacred. And... Um, They're not just sacred because it's a contract that we made, but it's sacred because it's how we worship God is how we treat one another. And so when we read this, I want you to see that in context with what Paul was saying to these people is that is that this idea of love isn't just fun and loving. And, you know, like we have little angels with harps and arrows and and, and, and hearts. But this is really worship to the Lord. And one of the most important things in our walk with God is to understand how do we love people and, and how do we love the most important people in our life? And so um, it says this, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own Amen. way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things. And the next verse says, love never fails. So Father God, I thank you for the way that you're leading and guiding us. And it's a divine pathway towards being transformed by you, Jesus, accepting your love and healing in our life And then from that place, stepping into what real love looks like and not what the world has labeled it as. 
And so God, I pray over the next few minutes that you would help us to step into this choice that we make every day and how it affects our ability to open up doorways to connection and intimacy. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first week we talked about love is patient. And I intentionally didn't bring it up that way because I wanted to save it for now. Love is patient. And what does that mean? It means we surrender our expectations to God. Remember we had that glorious box and one hand it said our hopes, dreams, and desires. And these are all the things that we're hoping and dreaming this relationship will be. And on the other hand, it's our expectations on our spouse. And so what we learned is that love is patient. We surrender our expectations to God and remember that they, the other person in this relationship, they don't owe me. And so we don't create a debt-debtor relationship. We simply say we owe each other everything, but I am owed nothing in return. Why? Because love is patient. And patience is powerful because it's connected to the love of God. And so when we treat our spouse with patience, surrendering our expectations to God, God, I give you my expectations and that frees me not to forego the important things that are in my life. It just means I'm giving them to God because when I give them to my spouse, it becomes a burden on them. It's not a burden to God. Cast your burdens on the Lord, your expectations on the Lord. Why? Because he can handle them. He's got really broad shoulders and he's the one actually who can change your spouse, by the way. If you haven't found out that you have no power to change your spouse, let me be the one to tell you. You are completely powerless. And the minute you try to change your spouse, you actually are moving in the wrong direction because they're going to dig their heels in when you try to change them. So we surrender our expectations to God and we say, God, you know what's important to me. And you know what works for us. So I surrender those expectations to you. And that frees me to love my spouse and see them for who they are. So the next thing that we learned the next week is that love is kind. We are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to demand our own way. And this was the doorway to connection number one. And the doorway to connection number one is you understand me. Why? Because you're listening. You're leaning in. Remember we said listening isn't the time between when you talk and when you get to talk next. That space is not listening. Listening is surrendering your desires and expectations and leaning in to understand the person and where they're coming from. Hearing their heart and not just their words and their emotions, which I know in the moment is really difficult to do. But when you set up like the golf swing, remember, it just takes practice. It takes, you know what? I'm going to step into this, not subjectively, right? I'm not, I'm not on the defense automatically when my spouse says, can we talk? But, but I'm going to say, you know what? I want to really hear them. I want to hear their heart. And I'm not going to take this personally. And so when, when you see me as I see me, it creates this beautiful connection. And that only happens when we lean into listen and understand. And so today, we're going to open up doorway number two to connection and intimacy. And that is, you believe in me. You see me as God sees me. So the first one is you understand me. You see me as I see me. The next one is you believe in me. 
that there's a, there's a lens that you have for me that's not human. It's not, that's not your lens. That's not, that's not a lens from all of my good behavior. That's a lens from heaven. You see me as God sees me. And this is an incredible moment in a relationship. And it opens up doorway number two. And it comes from love believes all things. Love is patient, love is kind, and love believes. Love always trusts. Now, as I said the first week, um, I want to say this again at this moment, and then I won't mention it again, and that is that this is not a copy and paste on every relationship. If you know somebody who's in an abusive relationship, emotionally or physically, um, don't just tell them to trust and believe, and it's going to be good, because there are moments when you just have to, like, get out and get help. And if you're in those situations or if you know somebody in those situations, please do that um, because, because this is not a copy and paste on every situation. But I will say that 99% of the relationships that are not in any kind of abusive relationship, this works because it's scripture and God honors this. And so with that said, God is teaching us how to believe all things. So this leads me to my illustration. In every relationship, from time to time, there is a gap between what you expected was going to happen. He said she was going to do this. She said she was going to do that. He said he was going to be like this. She said she was going to be like that. He said he was going to be home on time for dinner and he's late again. She's late again. And what you experience from the relationship. And this can be a, um, this can, can represent an overall picture of the relationship can also represent practical things that happen on a day-to-day basis that just frustrate you. This can represent like a deep-rooted frustration and it can also represent just kind of like practical moment-by-moment, day-to-day things. And in these circumstances that we all have, because we all have expectations for our spouse to be And to do, and some of these expectations are fair. Some of these expectations are actually going to be helpful for the relationship. And we all have them. And no matter how much you've talked these things through, no matter how much you've communicated them, you still have them. And then we all have what it actually turns out to be. And in that circumstance, we have a choice and we make this choice every single day of our life. And sometimes we don't even know we're making it, but we make it. And we fill the gap between what we expect and what we experienced. And we fill this gap with either, I assume, the worst. I make assumptions based on I expected you to be home for dinner and you probably stopped off and talk to your friends. You're probably flirting with that person at work again. You're probably just doing your own thing. You don't even care about me. You don't even know how hard it is to be home with the kids and why I experienced from you. And so I'm assuming the worst of your motives. I'm assuming the worst of your intentions. And this creates a downward spiral of love. Or in the moments of frustration, when we face this gap that we all face every day, we can choose door number two. 
and we can believe the best. This sounds incredibly easy. This is one of the most difficult choices that we can make every single day. Now, it's a choice overall to say, you know what? I'm going to believe the best about my spouse. It's kind of a big arc, big, big, uh, big picture decision that we can make. But then tomorrow, when she doesn't, he doesn't, when she leaves the socks in the living room again, when he doesn't pick up again, when he, when she, when he, when do all these things, there's an expectation, then there's an experience. And when there is a gap, we get to fill in the blank. Now, just like brushing your teeth, the first choice doesn't erode the marriage. If you don't brush your teeth tomorrow, it's not going to be that big of a deal. But in a year, if you've constantly made that decision to not brush your teeth because it's just easier to not, not only are we going to be asking you for a breath mint, but you are going to be going to the dentist for some emergency surgery. And it's the same thing with this decision. Some of us have eroded aspects of our relationship because over time, we've made the wrong decision for a long period of time to assume the worst. There was a secular book um, called The One Thing You Need to Know. And in this secular book, this is a, a pretty old book um, written by Marcus Buckingham. It was a study that they, that they did. It was a 20-year study on relationships. And they basically did a deep dive into what is it that makes healthy, happy relationships work? And so they studied like hundreds of healthy, happy couples. It wasn't biblical, it wasn't spiritual. They weren't, you know, breaking out the four spiritual laws. They were literally looking at, these are awesome, amazing couples that have lasted, that have gone the distance, and there is something, there's an X factor about their life. What is it? And so they narrowed it down and they went into this study thinking, I know what we're going to find. What we're going to find is that both couples settled. They lowered their standards to such a degree where they could meet one another's expectations. Because how many know when you have low expectations, it's easy to meet them? And so that's what they assumed. They just assumed that, you know what? Both of the couples just lowered their expectations and they just said, you know what? We're just going to settle. We're just going to make it work. And they decided to be happy. This is what they assumed. What they found was the complete opposite. What they found was that they had an unrealistically positive view of their spouse. What they discovered is that love is actually blind. And here was the recommendation for their study. They said this, when in a relationship, find the most generous explanation for each other's behavior and then believe it. When in a circumstance, when there is a gap between what you expect and what you experience, Find the absolute, most generous, unrealistic, ridiculous explanation for my spouse's behavior. And then you believe it. Why did she? Why was she? Why was he? Why did he do that? Why is he like this? You know what? I'm going to find the best possible explanation for this. And I'm going to go all in 
on that explanation. And I'm gonna create a narrative about my spouse that makes no logical sense other than I'm just choosing to believe they're amazing. I'm choosing to believe they have the best intentions that just don't don't always materialize. Bless their heart. They're trying so hard. I'm believing that she just loves me so much and all of my expectations that I have would so be met, but she just doesn't have enough time in the day. But she's working so hard. She is incredible. And so there's great reasons why these things didn't happen. I don't even need to ask about them. Because I know if I asked, I would get a laundry list of reasons that are really good. And so I'm just going to go, you know what? She's amazing. He's amazing. And I'm going to move on. (laughs) Healthy couples make it a habit. Healthy couples make it a habit. A habit, which means it takes, what, 40 days, 50 days, 90 days to create a habit, 30 days? It's more than a few. They make it a habit to move from what we all do instinctively. We assume, we assume, we assume. Listen, we do this with our kids. We do this with our grandkids. We do this with our friends, with our colleagues, with our boss. This is what we do. And you know why there's a reason for it? Because neurologically, I actually discovered this. This is really bad news, but I discovered it. Neurologically, when you go to negative, it makes your brain feel better. It's called fight or flight. It's actually something that God created in us to run from danger. And so when danger happens, your brain fires something different than positive. So when you go to negative, it's like, that's why you like gossip so much. Like, ooh, I want to know something negative because it does something to your brain. So we all go, ooh, 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 this must be a really bad reason. And we think we're doing something positive in our brain, but in fact, we're creating a downward spiral of love. And what the book said was that when, when, when couples took the advice of believing something ridiculously good about their spouse, it created this upward spiral of love. And it actually changed the behavior of their spouse to be positive. That this belief actually created an atmosphere in their relationship that made things different. And so healthy couples, happy couples make it a habit to believe the best. What does that look like in your relationships, in my relationships? Again, this isn't just spouse. Everyone that's meaningful and important to you, what does it look like for you to just assume the best, believe the best, just constantly go to that? You know what? There's a great reason for that. You know what? I totally get it. And then when things happen, when you actually have to have conversations, because sometimes what you expect is like it's kind of kind of a really big deal. And then what you experience, or sometimes what you perceive to experience. Because how many know sometimes when we make assumptions, they're not always accurate. Because when we're just quick to assume, 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 we jump to conclusions that aren't even real, but we've created something in our mind, which goes back to you see me like I see me. What happens when you expect something and you're used to assuming, and so you've created your own experience and you go to your spouse and your spouse is like, have you ever had this? Don't answer that because I know you have. Have you ever had this where your spouse is like kind of coming at you, right? Right? with this like opinion or perspective. And you're like, that is 
so not how I meant to say that or what I meant when I did that or like, where did you come? Okay, don't, don't answer because I, I don't want you to get in trouble. But, but like, where are we, where are you coming from? Doorway number one is you see me like I see me. So when you go to your spouse and you go, well, you know what, babe? I expected this. And I refuse to make assumptions. I feel like I experienced this. But I know who you are. I know who you really are. So there's a good reason. And even if there isn't a good reason, I love you. And I don't, I don't want to experience that anymore. But but I see you and I love you. So when you have that conversation, because sometimes you can't just blow it off. Sometimes you go, you know what? They, 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 you know, listen, I, I can totally get there. They, they didn't mean to do that. And so I'm going to move on. Sometimes you can't do that because sometimes the, the circumstance merits a conversation. So you have the conversation and you say, you know what? I didn't experience what I expected and this is important to me. And then you close the book. And then what you do next is everything. You know what you do next? You don't do what you want to do. Because what you want to do the next time it happens is go, here we go again. See, I knew it. I knew they didn't. I knew they weren't really sorry. I knew that they weren't really going to change because here we go again. And so I'm going to assume the worst because this is who they really are. And you just go down that. No, you don't. I'm not going to do that because I've made a habit of believing the best. So I've already wiped that old thing clean and we're starting again. And I'm believing the best again. Listen, we could stop right here. And just go do this, and I promise you, our relationships will go from downward spiral. And listen, I'm not saying your relationship's in a downward spiral. I'm saying that all of us, if we're honest, there are aspects of our relationship. If we categorize them, we'd be like, yeah, that's a little bit of a downward spiral, that category. It would turn around into an upward spiral of love. Moving on. Here's the thing, though. If you're not really into like the whole believe the best thing, there are options. So just so you know, I want you to know there are other options, okay? So here are the other options, ready? Delight in uncovering mistakes. Thrive on speculation. Assume the worst and embrace doubt. Can you imagine sitting down with your, with your child, your son or your daughter or your grandkid? Let me tell you about, about healthy relationships. Let me tell you some, some keys. Babe, honey, I just want you to set a trap. He'll step in it eventually. Just set in it. Listen, assume the worst. Listen, everyone loves a relationship filled with doubt. Come on, come on. Who doesn't want that kind of relationship, right? No. But this is what we choose because we make the choice every single day. It's one or the other. You can't live in the middle. It's either I'm going to believe the best and I'm going to choose to create an upward spiral of love in my relationships, even in the hard conversations, or I'm going to let fate take over and inevitably this is what the relationship is filled with. So I want to talk about three things. 
First one is this. Suspicion is fertile soil for distrust. Suspicion is the fertile soil for distrust. First Timothy says this. If anyone does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, he has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy and dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people. Have you ever wanted to like go buy a car? And so you start doing research on it and you're kind of like dreaming about the car. And then all of a sudden you start seeing that car everywhere. Like for a long time, I really wanted a truck, like a, a Toyota um, Tundra. And, and, and I got one, but for a long time I wanted one. And I suddenly realized like everyone drives a Toyota Tundra. It's crazy. Why? Because what you're looking for, you're going to find. Suspicion is a self-fulfilling prophecy. You will eventually find whatever you're searching for. This will hijack the atmosphere of your relationships. And this is why it's so important that we find healing. I just want to pause for a moment and say that when we try to function in a healthy way in a relationship where there are active wounds, that creates a, a unhealthy environment for our relationships, a, a, a faulty platform or faulty foundation. And so sometimes there are wounds within our relationship. You've been married long enough and you just, th- this has happened long enough where, you know, there's been a lot of assumption, a lot of expectations, a lot of, you're not meeting my expectations, and there becomes this wounded heart. You cannot build on a wounded heart. You can throw all the self-help and all the good marriage books and everything on top of, but if you're building on a wound and not a scar, then, then it's going to come crumbling down. And so, but the other kind of wound that we can bring is past wounds. Whether it's because of a, of, a, of a past relationship that you've had, past marriage, or even just past relationship, sometimes we bring those wounds into a relationship. And so I just want to pause and say that, that it is so important that first and foremost, you do the hard work to ask the question, are there wounds? Am I wounded? Sometimes it's hard to admit. You know, like your spouse asks you, how are you doing? It's like, I'm fine. Oh, so you seem wounded. No, I'm fine. And we just move on. But you will never be able to create an environment of belief when you're building on top of wounds. And so asking the question, like, am I wounded? Have I wounded my spouse? Have I said things or done things? And we just need to go through a process where, where we deal with that. And we ask for forgiveness and we step into healing and redemption. And I'm listening, I'm a living example. Heather and I are living examples where there can be total restoration and healing no matter what happens in your marriage, but you got to go through it. And the first thing is to say, you know what? I got to be honest with myself. I got to be honest with my spouse. I got to step into those, even if it's hard, even if it's like, man, I feel like it's a step back. Listen, one step back is way better than three steps forward on a faulty foundation because you're not going to be able to build anything healthy or lasting. And so I just want, I want to encourage you. This, this message is not on healing, but it is a message to say, you have to be honest about that 
and, and, and seek healing. And Heather and I, um, we'd love to help in any way we can in those, if you don't know some steps forward, but seek those things out. Okay, the next, the next thing is this. What we meditate on becomes our perspective. Fix your thoughts, fix your thoughts, fix your thoughts. This is an aggressive, active, intentional thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy. And then God does his part. And the God of peace will be with you. Your part, fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts, fix your thoughts. Think about things intentionally. And we're gonna think about things that are here, believing the best. We're not gonna think about what we experience. This is what I experienced. This is what he didn't do for me. This is what she didn't do for me. These are my, all my frustrations. This is what didn't happen. This is why we have all these problems. We're not gonna meditate on this or assumption. We're gonna meditate on this, believing the best. So two quick questions. What do you always and constantly do related to your spouse? And what, are you, what do you remember most and meditate on regarding your spouse? What, what runs through your mind about your spouse or about that person, about that boss, about that colleague? Is it think about things that are true and honorable and right and pure and admirable? Now, Spouse, I want you to think about your spouse. And I want you to think about what if these things were what was running through their mind all the time about you? Is that what you think they do? When they're in the shower, when they're driving down the road, when they got some time to think, is your assumption that they're thinking, wow, my spouse, they're so honorable. I admire them so much. They're so pure. They are excellent and worthy of praise. (laughs) You guys are like, what are we even talking about? (laughs) This is so amazing because you get to choose what you think about and meditate on all the time as it relates to your spouse. What we meditate on becomes our perspective. It frames the whole deal. So we're either thinking about all the frustration and all the disappointment and all the things that they didn't shoot or didn't do or all the things we wish they would do or hoping they're doing, or we're just going, man, they're so amazing who they are. Not just because I see them like they see them, but because I see them like God sees them. Right, which, which, which brings us to point number three, and this is where we're going to land the plane, and it's my absolute most favorite, and it's the whole deal. It's the whole deal. Resurrection power is connected to belief. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. She is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There's a point, there's been a point every week where we transition from, I'm gonna give you some good tips. Some of which you've heard before, some of which you've already put into practice. That's why your marriage is so good. And, And it's just good stuff. It's good communication and it's good love and care and all those things. But there's a point where we separate ourselves as Christ followers into something supernatural. 
And I believe with all of my heart that your relationship is supernatural. That, that there's something about it that's beyond just two people had a cool idea to get together and you fell in love and you're just trying to make it happen. That God has such an incredible plan. There is so much power connected when two people come together in unity. There's so much power there, which is why the enemy can't stand it. I'll tell you what, the enemy has an absolute war on relationships. Absolute war on marriages. Why? Because there's so much power there. And I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is resurrection power connected to belief. This is where you and I choose to partner with God in his agenda for your spouse. This is where we move beyond logic. It's not logical. What I experience, what I expect versus what I experience and how to fill this this gap here, it's not logical to fill this gap with just, you just need to believe more. It's not logical. Where What God wants to do in your marriage is not logical. It's not two and two makes four. This is a supernatural move of God in our relationships. Love says, I don't see you through the lens of your mistakes or your inadequacies. I see you through the lens of the cross. I see you through the lens of who God created you to be. And I am a living example of somebody, my wife, who's not here today, or not in the room today. I am a living example of somebody that that has been absolutely transformed by the love of my spouse. There was a point not too long ago where I said, I'll never be in ministry again because I'm not worthy. And yeah, it was the love of God, but it was the love of God seen through my spouse. There was so much power when your spouse and when your significant other looks you in the eyes and says, I don't see you for your faults. Listen, anyone can do that. Anyone can look at the faults and say, well, it's X, Y, and Z. I see, I can write them all down. Well, duh, that doesn't take any intellect. It doesn't take any faith. But there's so much power when we step back and say, you know what? That's not how I see you. And I'm going to make a choice and I'm going to make a habit. And it's not just a practical choice. It's a supernatural choice by faith to say, I see you the way God sees you. There's more in you. You're amazing. You're incredible. And you speak those words and you meditate on those words. And all of a sudden, the faith begins to arise in your relationship and in your home and in your family. And soon you begin to see something that's not logical. I can't explain why my spouse is all of a sudden stepping into their own. They're all of a sudden starting to lead. Like, I I, I can't tell you how many wives I've talked to, not in this church, not in this room, but how many wives I've talked to, they're so frustrated because their husband won't step up and lead spiritually. And yet, this is their habit. Assume the worst. Why don't you? Why can't you? Why don't you ever? How come you never? And it's this constant downward spiral. And when we start to say, you know what? I'm going to see through a different lens today. 
I'm going to pick up my, I'm going to, I'm going to pick up my spiritual weapons and I'm going to begin to speak and believe. And and listen, I'm not going to be the nag. I'm not going to be the frustration guys to the wives. I'm not going to speak negative. I'm going to speak positively. I'm going to begin to wash them with the word. And I'm telling you what, we were created for these kind of relationships. Anybody been in this kind of relationship where you're just like, I don't know why they just see the best in me. I don't, I, I can't explain it, but they just constantly have something good. When they look at me in the eyes, I can see that they're not looking at my faults. And I don't know why, but it's amazing. When you're in this kind of relationship, it puts the cross center stage. Because I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. And that's not what we're striving for. It's like, I just want to be perfect for my spouse. I want to be more like Jesus and I'm trying every day and my spouse makes that journey incredible because she sees me that way. And man, every day when I wake up, that's my goal. And I want, I want Heather's journey to be more like Jesus better because I'm here. This is what it means to believe the best. Father God, I thank you for a fresh wind and a fresh fire that would come in our relationships. And Holy Spirit, as we conclude this series on relationships, we don't want to just gather some tools to be better, but Holy Spirit, we're asking for you to do something. First and foremost, Holy Spirit, we're asking you to begin to heal. God places in our relationships, in our life, where just years have I've created wounds and frustrations and hurts. And Jesus, you're the great healer. And God, I pray that you'd come in and that you would heal. And then secondly, we're asking for a brand new lens that we would see differently. Father, that there would be light at the end of the tunnel. The sky would open. There would be a broad place and we would be able to step into this incredible journey with our spouse to become more like you. And so we just say yes to that agenda, partnering with you with that agenda regarding our spouse. And God, I thank you that Heart Church is going to be a place where the world goes, man, I don't know what's the deal with that place, but they just have incredible relationships. They're their family. They just, they just know how to love. They know how to lean in, God. And we want some of that. And Jesus, we get to point the finger at you and say, it's, it's you, God. It's the cross. It's the redemptive power that's present and that we tapped into it. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you.